what I think we need to do as leaders, we need to have honest conversations. And I mean, how many people do you know at this level that don't have those, that shy away from them, that are conflict averse, which I don't even know how you get to the C-suite being conflict averse. But if my managers at the time had been able to articulate more than I don't know if you're gonna make it, Jen, then they could have helped me see my way out of that faster. And they didn't have words to put towards it. And we as executive leadership need to find the words and we need to get coaching and get help to do that. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the team and nation. Wow, a fun one in store for you today with Jen Brent Gargan, who's the Chief Information Officer over at Bacardi. Yes, get your rum drinks ready, which is the largest privately held spirits company in the world, producing and marketing internationally recognized spirits and wines, including a Bacardi rum, a Grey Goose vodka, Duars blended scotch whiskey, Patron tequila, and Bombay sapphire gin. I hope you all aren't getting too thirsty. You need to listen to this first before you mix that cocktail. Jennifer is an experienced executive with a demonstrated history of innovation and delivery. She's, a, she's skilled in business process, IT strategy, data warehousing, mentoring, and management with information science and technology degree from the Pennsylvania State University. She's also served in senior leader roles over at Estee Lauder, Viacom, and JP Morgan Chase. Jen, welcome to Lead the Team. Ben, great to be here. Ooh, <laughs> we're going to have fun. I'm excited, and y'all, I can promise I have not been drinking the Bacardi quite yet, although it might happen during this episode. So, Jen, pumped to have you on here. You say you have a bit of an odd story. I what do. What do you mean by that? I do. Well, I mean a lot. So, I, you know, so I dropped out of high school. I stayed home with my kids for a long time. I went back to school when I was 30. So it's kind of like, where do you want me to start? But I'll start at the beginning. Oh, yeah. So let's um, start there. So, you, so you've already hooked me. What, what I think is really interesting and, and where I resonate, and I, when I say I dropped out of high school, it's not in the traditional sense. I didn't drop out in some rebe- rebellious fit and run off the rails. But but I did, you know, my, um, my high school at the time changed some of their administrative requirements for graduation. It was going to mean that I needed to stay longer um, because I was not, I'm not an academic by nature. I was not a great student and I just didn't want to do that. So I waited until I would have graduated and just went for my GED and moved on from there, which in some ways was great. And in some ways was foolish. You know, if we all have kids, if our kids came home one day at 18 and said, you know, I'm just not going to finish this thing I've been doing. I'm just going to get my GED. I think we might all have a little bit of heart attack, but, but it worked out. I mean, I've just always carved my own journey and it's never, ever, ever been a straight line. And I don't think it ever will be. Um, And then, you know, I got married pretty young. I got married at 18 uh, just because we were in love. Nothing was requiring it. (laughs) 
And, uh, you know, we were married for several years, had kids. I stayed home with my kids for a long time, like did a really traditional route. Then I went back to work and I was working, but I wanted to shift career paths. And I went back to school uh, at 30 when my youngest went to kindergarten. So at uh, Penn State University, we are. Uh, yeah, went back and did did a very traditional four-year degree as an adult, which was fascinating sitting mm. outside on, in the driveway trying to do like calculus while my kids are riding bikes. Um, and then jumped back into back, <laughs> jumped back into the workforce and went a different career path. So it's worked out well for me. I feel pretty good about it. Wow. So it sounds untraditional. Yeah, maybe traditional in some ways with staying home with the kids and whatnot, but then jumping back as an executive. So what was that like? I mean, so you went back to school, you know, as a more mature person, probably got a lot more out of school than a lot of people do because you're, you know, taking it maybe a bit more seriously, but, but to be honest, Jen, I mean, your career just pretty much exploded. I mean, just like accelerated. What, what was the defining moment in your career? We were like, wait a minute. Um, you know, even though I'm kind of jumping into the workforce full fledged in my thirties, I can be a C-suite officer of a major international company. Yeah. Awesome. So it wasn't, I don't want to make it seem like I didn't do anything before I had kids and while I had my kids. So I did, Mm -hmm. I was out in the workforce. It was not in corporate America. So it does, you know, it doesn't count. I wouldn't put it on a resume for my next job, but it, but it counts in terms of understanding people and understanding how to do a job and understanding how to be out there in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know what, to be honest with you, I've known forever that I could be in the C-suite. Uh, so this, this, this is where I was supposed to be. I came out of school, actually midway through Penn state talking to my professors. I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to be a CIO. So just like, what's that path? And then of course I didn't take the straight path because I don't ever take the straight path, as I mentioned, and here I am and it's amazing and I love it. And it is where I'm supposed to be. Wow. So. So you had this recognition early on, did you have mentors early on and you're like, I can do that or. I did. I, yeah, sorry to cut you off. I did. Yeah. Um, I, I think in, I'm very, very fortunate that in every job that I've had since school and including in uh, at my university, um, people recognized that I wasn't maybe cut from a, <laughs> a normal cloth, right? I'm not a, not a traditional academic. I'm not the kind of person that if you say, hey, sit in this role for, you know, three, four, five years, learn it, cut your teeth on it. That's not me. I learn very quickly and make decisions very quickly and I move very quickly. Um, and I think the people, I've had at least one person everywhere I've been recognize that and, and help hmm. me find a path. So- cool. Yeah. So, so what's your advice for people out there who maybe they have a non-traditional path yeah. like this and they're concerned and maybe they're freaking out about their resume or, I mean, I, people contact me all the time and they're like, I took a year off. How do I talk about that? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, which is not nearly as, you know, I'll say less, as you said, less linear perhaps, yeah. uh, as your path. But what do you say to people who are freaking out about that? hundred percent own it. Just own it. You took a year off because you wanted to take a year off. And if anybody sitting on the other side of the table doesn't admit they're jealous, they're lying. Right. I mean, who doesn't want to take a year off? It's just okay. And not everybody's going to think it's okay, but own it. Like be you. And that's your journey. And if the person across says, no, we don't want that, then that's okay. Then you move on to the next person because it's all okay. 
Yeah, nice. Nicely stated. <laughs> uh, so I want to ask you about something uh, that, that I've read a little, a little bit of a, of a different note here. But yeah. so you're passionate about tech not being separate from the business. Okay. Uh, and th- this comes up a lot because when I started, you know, I'm, I'm a generation X guy, the it people, I mean, let's be honest, they're kind of like kept in the back and like, you're not invited to the big meetings because they're just all back there speaking whatever known language it is. And they definitely were not necessarily, I mean, the, the evidence of the CIO, I mean, people got to realize it seems everyone's got a CIO now, but I mean, back then. If you had a CIO, people were kind of scratching their head. Like, what is that all about? Now, what do you, what's your advice for people? So they could be in HR, could be in technology, but there are certain key groups that aren't getting invited probably to the boardroom that frequently, or maybe they're called upon after the cyber attack has happened, not before. Uh, What's your advice for leaders and companies who are not being invited and, and, and they don't get a seat at the, uh, at the table. At the, at the cool kids table. At the cool kids um, table, yeah. So the reality is work needs to be done on both sides. And I am incredibly passionate about this. I talk about it with my teams almost every day. It drives them a little bit crazy, but I think I just keep saying we are the business. The the problem hmm. is that as tech leaders, we need to understand our business not as well as our our stakeholders. Obviously, that's their profession, and technology is my profession. But if I don't understand why why they want something, why we're doing something, the return on that investment, where we're going with it, then I can't make good tech recommendations. So then, conversely, they're not going to trust me. They're not going to invite me to the table if I can't understand where they're coming from. Because how could I possibly give them a good solution? So it's on both sides. So I'm. I am spending this year, especially, you know, Bacardi focusing hundred percent on people. Do we understand the business? Why are we doing it? What's the value? What's the return? And how are we speaking to our business mm-hmm. partners? At the same time, I'm talking to all of our business partners and saying, guys, we are a part of your team. And if I haven't, if we haven't been good at that, we will be, give us a little bit of grace. We're getting better, but let me put somebody at your table, at your decision-making table that can be your advisor. Mm. And so far, nobody's telling me, no, they're like, great, give me a good person and they can sit at the table. And then we have to just be quote unquote, good people. And what that means to them is understanding them. I love that. And so the key to breaking through that I'm hearing you saying from your perspective is being of service, but if you're not at the table, you can't be of service or you're, you're like cleaning up everything after the fact and being in the discussions helps you get in early and probably prevent a lot of damage from happening. A lot of critical mistakes. Uh, yeah. When you go to these meetings, is there a bottle of Bacardi in the room? <laughs> no, no, but there is a bar outside. <laughs> there is, there's a bouquet. I'm like, don't disappoint me here. There's got to be some sort no, of. No, it is not all you imagined, Ben. <laughs> okay. You're not just like, you know, martini glasses and no, laying no, around. It is, it is the- business focused. It very business focused, but at the end of the day, there's always somebody that could teach you how to make a cocktail. Ooh, yes. Okay. All right. Definitely a yeah. good plus. And yeah, but going back to what you were saying, I don't make light of that because it's a really good playbook for leaders. And uh, we had on the show not too long ago the first chief artificial intelligence officer from IBM. Oh, yeah. uh, and we had a similar type discussion. 
because people aren't even, a lot of people aren't even really sure what is AI, like, what is it? I mean, we're all sort of trying to figure out what is the bound, how, what is, is this boundless? I mean, we don't necessarily know how, how far this can go. Right. Um, but, uh, I think, I think your approach of as the senior leader, you, you're helping break down the door to get them at the table. Yeah. But then you've got to instill the proper mindset in your team. So when they're at the table, they know how to be in this new setting. They may have been behind a computer for a long time, just instant messaging these folks. And now they're at the table and perhaps a heated conversation. But they're, they're not. Can I just say, like, I am the nerdiest person in the room most mm-hmm. of the time, and okay. I can have a conversation with you. Like, these people are leaving work, they're going about their lives, and they are not those tech people. We do not employ hackers with hoodies and, and sunglasses. That's not them. It's an it's a, a myth and an old perception, mm-hmm. and it and it is a new way of working. I will say, technologists oftentimes will let sometimes process get in their own way as well, and they'll mm. communicate internal IT processes out into our stakeholders' lives, and they don't care about that. They just want to know: Are you going to do the thing? And do you understand the thing? And what's the right thing? Um, so I think it's just it's really to me a thousand percent about communication. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point. And getting, you have to be present to be communicated to, and you're, you're getting them invited into that conversation. And I think for, from a leadership playbook, I think that's one of the nuggets that I'm taking away here uh, yeah. for sure how to, and how to do this. Now, you also speak often about the very foundation of digital transformation. For leaders out there, you've probably heard this buzzword a million times. Okay, mm-hmm. we're digital transformation. Uh, and then they're kind of holding their breath. Like, what is this? How big a change is going to be? Uh, what exactly uh, is, is sort of your mindset around digital transformation inside organizations right now? No, totally. Um, it's first, it's about people. So uh, mm-hmm. you have, you have to have the right people. It's about the right people in the right seat with the right skill set, understanding what this means. And really, if we can, can we break that down a little bit? I have so many people that have digital in their title. So many people put transformation in their title. Isn't it really just about using the latest set of tools to simplify our lives so that we can get on with doing what we need to do? Hmm. So when we talk about a digital transformation, I'm not talking about putting, you know, VR headsets on everyone and having them only work in, in you know, this newly minted metaverse, right? We're not there. It's We're not there yet. When we have holodecks one day, maybe, but that's mm-hmm. not it. It's about a digital overlay to our lives and making our lives simpler, which we already do. You, everybody who's listening to this has a computer in their pocket. They have an iPhone, they've got an Android, they've got a whatever. That's more powerful than the first computers I owned as a kid. And they're already doing it. They're already using digital tools to make their lives simpler. When it comes to uh, a little bit of left turn on this question, when it comes to digital transformation, what what sci-fi do you draw from for inspiration and possibilities, if at all? Oh my gosh. Well, right now I'm watching this incredibly scary show called Next. I think it's on Hulu. I'm in London, so it's on Disney Plus, but um Next. and it's all about AI <laughs> and becoming a, a super, super intelligent AI and basically taking over the world. So that's super scary. But I mean, for people out there, look, watch Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. When he puts glasses on and there's a digital overlay to what he's looking at, ignore the fact that he's in a video game or whatever. Think about that as real life and there's a digital overlay. Um, look at, oh my gosh. 
gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but I think it was also on Hulu and it was, um, Sean Penn. Um, so you can look up Sean Penn and the show he was in off, maybe you can put it in the notes or something. Um, he also, you know, everybody has little glasses. They pop the glasses on, they fling, you know, a file from my database to yours and, you know, my cloud to your cloud, things like that, where they speak to their car, open up, start the car, let's go, you know, automated driving, all of that. That's just digital tools revolutionizing the way that we do things. There might be new ways of doing things. The iPhone was entirely new. Uber disrupted taxis. Like there's lots of disruptive technology that will come in that we can't see coming yet, but it'll have a purpose, right? There will be white space in the market for it to succeed. Yeah. A lot of great insights for people there. So you can get inspired by a lot of the sci-fi that's on television. That's not too, too, too out there, but that may be, you know, giving us clues on what's going to happen into the future might give you a different perspective than just what you're reading in the wall street journal. As I'm hoping this podcast does too. Now, what's Star one Trek. trait? Wait, wait, what's that? Always Star Trek. I'm just saying, plug for Star Trek. Always Star Trek. <laughs> Y'all, check it out. Star Trek, man, <laughs> that is an endless, boundless place. It is. To go and to be inspired. It is. I, I kid you not. I have heard people, I've heard engineers get up who are creating innovative technologies who watched it as a kid and are developing it as an adult. So I'm not kind of not kidding. Wow. So what's the one Star Trek device that you believe is like, just is the one that's, that's your favorite overall? The holodeck. I need it in my life. Tell us more about the holodeck for those who aren't familiar with it. Okay. So if you're familiar with the metaverse or, you know, kind of a way to go into, you step into this room and it's like, you're in an actual place. It's, it's, they use, oh my God, I'm going to sound like a total nerd on this. They use photons and force fields to create people and objects and things like that. So it's, it's just creating another place. It's the metaverse, but the next, next, next version of it. Yes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. We'll keep that in mind, everyone. I mean, the metaverse is coming and it's, well, it's really already here and applications are boundless. I mean, I've heard about it helping people with chronic pain and there's just all kinds of different ways, health benefits and business benefits. Now let's dive into your leadership approach a little bit here, Jen. What's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee? And why do you think it's important? Curious. Well, does it have to be just one? If it's one, I'm going to say right now at this moment in time, but it'll change is curiosity. Curiosity. And so if you walked in to Bacardi International Headquarters mm-hmm. and everyone was maybe 10%, 30%, 40%, 50% more curious, how would things look different? So when you're doing your job, you know, I'm going to talk about tech. Let's talk about just my my tech group, right? If they're saying, hey, you know, the Wi-Fi is not working as well. The conference rooms are down. I mean, these are things that plague like you never realize this, that you're going to get to be a CIO and you're going to talk more about like Wi-Fi technology and conference rooms working than you ever wanted to. But but my first question mm-hmm. then is, okay, well, what's out in the market to solve this for us? What are you curious about? How do mm-hmm. we, how do we get past this? Mm-hmm. Curiosity drives solutioning. If you aren't curious about what's causing the problem and what else is out there to solve it, then you're just an order taker, Right. Big, big difference. I mean, it's almost like you can't lead if you don't have some kind of curiosity going on. Other because you're really just managing, you're being told what to do and just doing it, or you're pointing the fingers 
or you're begging someone to solve the problem. Why is the Wi-Fi down? Well, that is so-and-so's responsibility. Well, they're out. Well, I guess we'll have to sit here by ourselves without Wi-Fi for a while versus actually just pitching in. And so a curious world or curious business to me is going to have an advantage Yeah, time and time again, no matter what the future holds. Mm -hmm. Uh, We often work with the leaders around the catastrophic cost of turnover. What's your perspective on the cost of turnover? And is it something that organizations should be tracking? Yes, but from a very human centric perspective, um, I, I think certainly now, like we've just gone through, it's called various things, but the great resignation, whatever, whatever. Um, it's, that's really just a, it's a people issue, right? Either people are unfulfilled, people, you know, haven't found their, their calling where they are, which is the same thing, um, or they're underpaid, whatever the case may be, it's around a people issue. So I do, I do think we should track it. I am less passionate about tracking it as a cost metric, but as a people metric, I think it's indicative of something that's going on in the organization. And certainly at Bacardi and other places that I've worked, um, Estee Lauder, Nike were fantastic in this. They care a lot about their people, right? And so I think we're investing in people because we do actually care about people at Bacardi. We are, we are family. We call our, uh, our, our teams primos, cousins. Um, so I think from a people perspective, absolutely, we need to track it. Yeah, that's cool. Primos. I like that. Yeah. yeah that's the Spanish word for cousins. Mm-hmm. Puerto Rico is where the headquarters is located, right? No, and it's where it's it's where Casa Bacardi is where we make our rum, but headquarters okay. is actually Bermuda. It's been there for a very long time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Man, two great places to visit. Yeah, I haven't been to Bermuda yet, actually, because I've only been here since January, but I have been to Casa Bacardi. And if you have not been, I highly recommend that you see it. Uh, we have a brand new brand home out there and visitor center. It's really cool. Wow. All right, everybody. There is a nice plug. And yes, <laughs> I'm going to make it down there at some point. <laughs> Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. So when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Yeah. So, well, this would lead to my second thing. If I could have had two things I wanted in people, um, beyond curiosity is it, it built resilience in me. And here's what it was. Um, so it wasn't a failure. I, I have been very fortunate to not have any epic failures. Um, I have lots of baby tiny failures. Cause if you're not failing some, you're not trying hard enough. Um, but this one was interesting for me. This is back in my Nike days. I don't know if it was personality thing. I don't know what was, the deal was, but I was on a team where there were just several of us that it was just not jiving. We liked each other fine, but it was just not jiving. And we were locked in a room. This is probably the real problem. We were locked in a windowless conference room for a year. I mean, we got to go home at night, barely um, working on a project. And, you know, there was a point in time where my manager pulled me aside and he was like, Jen, I'm not sure you're going to make it at Nike on this because of this project. And I was like, what are you even talking about? Like, I'm doing my job. I'm delivering. What do you mean? Um, 
And we, we got through it, but it built resilience because I knew I was delivering well. I knew I was doing my job really well. Um, but there was something happening that was intangible. Mm-hmm. And I think the intangibles are what kill you. Like perception kills you. If you can't build good relationships, if you can't get over hurdles, if you can't have real conversations, you can't get past these things. Well, I lasted, by the way, just cut to the punchline. And ironically, looking back, you know, two of us are still really good friends from that project. And our things are actually still like in production at Nike. Yay! And, uh, you know, the one guy who was like beloved on that project, his stuff broke, he left the company. So it really was all around like, people. So it taught me to be super resilient and, and that perception, I mean, perception's reality. We know that, but that Mm. it's really impactful and that you need to be able to have really honest conversations early and often to avoid those things. But it was such a great experience. It was a horrible experience while I was going through it. Horrible, but it was such a good experience to have, have had, uh, because it taught me quite a bit. The whole thing about perceptions, I used to have a, uh, well, when I worked for, for some larger companies as an employee at a boss, it was like, man, you, you need to focus on managing, uh, perceptions of you. And I was like, always scratching my head at that. I was like, how the, you know, how am I supposed to do that? And I didn't, I never really got the playbook. Uh, but what you said, I think is a great place to start. Uh, or you said, Hey, have some honest conversations. So they feel like they're really hearing right from you and you're able to ask questions for them. Uh, you know, what other, what other advice do you have for people who might be getting that conversation of you need to manage other people's perceptions more effectively? Well, if I could start with what I think we need to do as leaders, we need to have honest conversations. And I mean, how many people do you know at this level that don't have those, that shy away from them, that are conflict averse, which I don't even know how you get to the C-suite being conflict averse. But if my managers at the time had been able to articulate more than I don't know if you're going to make it, Jen, then they could have helped me see my way out of that faster. And they didn't have words to put towards it. And we as executive leadership need to find the words and we need to get coaching and get help to do that. Wow. wow, wow. Yeah. So what is that? I mean, what's the, is, is there a formula that you think about when it comes to these honest conversations or maybe another way to put it would be what's a situation like, I think you have a good, a good personal example of them not being able to really articulate that. What would a more articulate way to go about doing that sound like for people? Well, I, th- I think first, the first thing I would do to advise people um, at my level or, or a little below, you know, if you're in, a, if you are leading people, mm-hmm. get in a room with a buddy, get with your spouse, get with somebody that you trust and tell them what's wrong with that person. Say it out loud. Mm-hmm. They're too brash. They're too harsh. They, they fly off the handle. They're emotionally explosive. They don't communicate well. They don't whatever. Like mm-hmm. say it out loud so that you know what it is. And then you can wordsmith that in an appropriate way. So I think something that would have been um, better articulated is, hey, Jen, there's a perception that when you come in the room that you've got a bad attitude and you're not happy to be on the project. I mean, you're delivering on time, but it's a little bit of a black box. We don't know what Mm -hmm. you're delivering. Could you give us more frequent updates? Maybe could you have weekly one-on-ones with the project manager? Whatever, a myriad of things right? That we can then articulate once we have said out loud what the problem is. I like that. Role play a little bit, get somebody to listen to you. 
and see if they understand what you're talking about. So when you get to the big moment of doing that, so it seems like on one hand, it's like giving direct feedback, but the way you're couching is an honest conversation. I kind of like that because number one, honest implies we're not going to sugarcoat this thing. Like so many feedback conversations, feedback moments go. And the fact that you're saying, instead of giving feedback, you're calling an honest conversation. It means that it's two directional. So that means you're going to be open as a leader to their feedback, which if this is the first time you're giving, having an honest conversation with them, you're probably going to get some. And if, you know, it'll it'll be lively. So anyway, I, I like, instead of calling it direct feedback, I like your terminology on honest conversations. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. And so, you, yeah. And you wow. will get to good, that. good, good. I think, I think that'll, that'll, that'll do really, really well. And I like how you reflected on that as a leader yeah. and you're sourcing, you know, resilience from that. Like, Hey, working for a year in a windowless room with people where you're getting this kind of fee is must've been quite situation, but you guys persevered. So congratulations oh, yeah. on that. It's kind of the worst. And, and that's a great strategy to feel resilient in the moment is to think back to previous times when you had a big challenge and you overcame them and totally. you can draw on that moment. So what are three strategies? Now you've already given us a bunch of success strategies here, but if there's maybe one or two more that all leaders need to understand. Success for individuals, like how they went in their, how they progress in their own career. Like, okay. I would say, so when I'm like mentoring people and like people have come to me and been like, Hey, People oftentimes, especially now in this role, oh my gosh, it's a woman, it's a CIO, you're both, yay. How do I get there? How do I, how can I be you? Um, because because uh, there aren't that many CIOs that are women, right? Of larger, especially in, yeah. particularly in larger companies. Yeah. You don't no, see that. So true. Yeah. So true. So then it's a couple of things. You need to know where you're going. You need to know what your superpower is. And always, always take the interview. Always be looking and and keep fresh on your skills. So what do you say to people who say, well, take the interview? I mean, yeah. I feel kind of guilty if I'm already at a company nope. and someone's calling me the interview. Is that is that sort of like a not a, a bad thing to do? No, you're not cheating on anybody. Listen, at the end of the day, most companies, and I don't feel this, I haven't felt this way about a couple of the companies I work at, Bacardi included, but most companies that look, they're business at the end of the day, if they need to make hard decisions, you might be one of those hard decisions. It's important for you as a human being to get external feedback regularly from outside of your circle and taking an interview. You can be very candid and upfront in an interview. Hey, I'm not looking to leave. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm happy to have a conversation with you. That helps them because they're refining what they're looking for in a candidate. And it helps you because you're having conversations. You're hearing what's important to them about this role. You may have been in your role for five years and these questions are different than you were asked. So things are changing. It's just good on all fronts. Be honest though. Don't, don't lead recruiters on poor recruiters. I love HR and I feel for my talent acquisition team. Don't lead them on if you're not looking for a job, but always Mm -hmm. take a conversation. It's just a conversation. Yeah. And you're planting those seeds for future possibilities. I mean, you might be CIO and you might need to have somebody added to your team and you might call that recruiter that you talked to six months ago. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I like talking to Jen. Yeah. I'll see if you know who we have for your team. Totally. So it can be, it can be two directional, but I, I like that philosophy in that an interview 
in the name of getting feedback on your career and what's going on in the industry, that makes it really like an imperative thing for people to do. Even if you're not looking for a job, but, you know, and and a lot of recruiters, they like to stay in the mix. You you stay in touch with them for a couple of years sometimes before maybe there's something going on, but they like to have those conversations. So that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So wrapping this up, give us your parting thought. It could include a tool, gadget, music, podcast, whatever it happens to be that you think listeners would thoroughly enjoy checking out. Oh man, that's great. So, well, a podcast, this one, obviously you're here. Um, CIO in the know is also a good one. I enjoy that one. I would say though, listen to whatever it is that you're interested in, especially if it's around your job, right? What interests you in your job? What are you passionate about in your business and go out and find those sources. You know, even when I was at Estee Lauder and I still listen to them, you know, you're listening to beauty and fashion and what's going on there. Same with tech. You're looking, you're reading Wired, you're reading The Economist, you're out there. You're what's the output from CES? Every technologist who cares about what's coming, if you're not looking at the the readouts from CES, you're missing it. Because three years ago they were talking about the thing that's coming out now. So that's what I would say. Great. I love that. How do you decide what to listen to? Well, what are you interested in and what are you doing at work? And specifically find the intersection of those two, what you're listening to and working on and, uh, and rock and roll with that. So I got to ask you, are you standing up or sitting down during the interview? I'm standing up. I am too. Okay. So let's talk (laughs) about this for a second. Okay. Why are you standing up during your interview? Um, I get more energy when I'm standing up all the time. Um, I think sitting down, there's just something stagnant that happens when you're sitting down. And I also am a fidgeter. I move Mm. a lot. So like I'm, I'm, pivoting back and forth on my legs while I'm standing here. Um, yeah. And sitting down all day just makes my back hurt. It's not good for me. So, so if you broke down your work day as like a pie, you know, what percentage are you standing versus sitting? Probably 60, 40 standing. 60, 40. Yeah. And do you, uh, I love kind of diving in. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, Ben, this is enough. This crazy stuff question. But I really, I'm really curious yeah. about it. Cause I'm standing yeah. up too. Uh, are there certain activities, obviously the interviewing piece, you're going to stand up. Yeah. Uh, what other activity or uh, what are the activities of sitting down or like, what are you thinking? What, what do you, when, when do you make that? If, if I'm going to be writing a lot, like if I'm meeting with my executive assistant or one-on-one with people and I need to take a lot of notes and it's just, it's just really it's a one-on-one transfer of information. I'll, I'll usually sit down. If I'm delivering information and I need energy around it, if it's a town hall, if it's a bigger mm-hmm. meeting, if I, if I know the people I'm meeting with are less energetic or I need them to be energetic about a topic, I'm typically standing up. So it's, I don't know, it's a lot about energy and just delivery of what I'm talking about. Wow. People are going to love hearing about that. Do you do you have a desk that rises and falls? So you sort of always have the same background, and would you just whether you're I, sitting or standing? Or? I do, and okay. uh, I mean it's a podcast, so if this makes it in, you can't see it. But I've got I've got shelves behind me at different levels, so mm-hmm, that when mm-hmm. I'm sitting, there's something at eye line, and when I'm standing, there's something at eye line. Uh huh. So right. yes, I do, and I removed a photo that was behind me that was reflective when I was standing up because people could see my screen. <laughs> That's, that's a mistake. I made. a lot of people make too. They have the reflective pictures because they're so beautiful, but they're 
Totally. They're, that, they're that. flicking the light back at you right into the screen. Right. Uh, do you use a bar stool like for elevated seat or do you sit down as for like a regular office chair? No, it's not even a regular office chair. I have an office chair. It's in the other corner of the office. I have my dining room chair because I recently, my back was bothering me and this chair just does better. So it's in the corner. I just okay. move it, move it when I sit down. Do you use uh, like bear, do you stand barefoot or do you have like supportive shoes and like a mat supportive mat or? Yeah. So I have a really fluffy rug and I have, it's interesting. You asked that I've got, I wear, um, Ugg slippers with the big soles. They're like indoor outdoor, but I just took them off because sometimes I need to take them off and sometimes I need to put them on. So I move a lot throughout the day just to keep my body like feeling healthy and Mm -hmm. okay. Um, so I have, I have all of it. Yeah. Some great insights there for leaders. Number one, part of being a leader people forget is leading the energy in the room. And when you're leading on zoom or teams, you got to bring 10 X, which you'd be bringing in person because you've got to get it through a little screen. Totally. And you're in, I don't know how many countries, but a lot of countries doing stuff. So all over the world, different time zones, you might be trying to energize people. It's like after their dinner time, uh, they're getting sleepy. So you're trying to really bring that. And so that's the, that's one thing. And I and I love that about that. The other thing that you mentioned we talked about was matching activities to standing versus sitting. And for some people, they might be rolling your eyes, but y'all this C-suite leaders, they're thinking about this. And because this is, this is big. And if I'm writing too, if I'm journaling, if I'm trying to write an article, a lot of times I'm, I'm I am sitting down, I have tried it standing up and it just mechanically just doesn't flow as well. And then also the emphasis on taking care of your own body when you're doing this, because uh, I, I, my first job was an industrial engineer working in manufacturing locations and people had those thick mats they would stand on. Yeah. And if you're standing at your desk all day, think about your footwear, think about what we're standing on, because it might start to work against you after a while. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I've actually thought been really thoughtful about it. I, you have a nice little, little video that I saw on LinkedIn about upgrading your workstation, mm-hmm. I think, and I've upgraded the microphone. I have, I have a whole arm thing on my desk. So I have my monitor that's a little bit away from me because of my eyesight and eye strain. And yeah, a little by little, it can be expensive if you do it all in one fell swoop, but, yeah. uh, but it was worth it. hundred percent worth it. Perfect. All right. Well, Jen, let's wrap this up. Parting thought in your corner. What you got? Oh my gosh. I thought I just gave them all. I'm sorry. I have no parting thought. That's I'm just going to keep digging because you keep coming out with such great ones. No pressure. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I like how you have those key leadership books in the background. People can't see them, but she's got to start with why Simon Sinek will be giving you a virtual high five right there. It's true. And I've got a book on, book on grit, which is really good. By oh, Andy and is that Angela Duckworth? Duckworth? Yeah. Grit? Yep. Yeah, that's really good. And I've got to, they, don't, they don't teach you at Harvard or what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School by Mark McCormick, which I'm reading now. So, yeah, I mean, part, okay. So, parting thoughts I've given to my team recently um, read, read, read. Like, people have asked me, how do I stay up on current tech? You don't have to read the whole book, read, read some headlines, dig in, mm-hmm. listen to the podcast, like, take the time and take care of yourself yeah. and, uh, and take care of your people. Beautiful. Woo. Great one, y'all. Enjoy this. Rewind it. Get all the good nuggets and check out show notes. Thanks for coming on, Jen. Thanks. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. 
Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.